Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to podcast number nine, I think. Uh, Josh, welcome. Thank you, sir. Looking f- good to be here. Are you? We have freaking awesome questions today. I, I glossed over them, and I cannot wait to talk to you about these questions. Uh, you want, you want to just start? You want to just, yeah. just do this? Yeah, let's do you want it. Do this. Let's get it All on, right, man. Let's get it on. Yeah. This first question is by Has. Sorry, Bruce. He Buffer. says, "Hey, Cole." <laughs> he says, "Hey, Cole, Yad, and Josh." I really appreciate your work, passion, empathy, and philosophy in building out Labco Fitness. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, I know you're all super busy, especially Nader, Dad. Uh, much <laughs> respect, and I hope all is going well. And uh, he has two questions for us. So let's first let's do deal it. with question number one. Okay. The first question is, do you know of any way to minimize the chance of making more stretch marks when gaining mass relatively quickly? Wow, that's a good question, man, because I have a lot of stretch marks. Can you please help me? Stretch, yeah, okay, so there is not a great answer for that because whether or not you get stretch marks is almost entirely a genetic thing. Um, For example, my wife has zero stretch marks from pregnancy. Um, Whoa. None. And the, uh, but she also, she has been kicked in the leg by a horse and had her calf torn off and... She literally pressure wrapped it back in place, and it used to be like a fist-sized scar. Now, it's about the size of one of my fingernails, and it's hard to see. So she has abnormal uh, healing. Um, you know, like almost none of her scars, they all shrink. Like, they don't stay the same size. They, they go, That's awesome. They go away. A lot of her scars, she just doesn't have. Like, they used to be there, and they're just gone now. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and the really, really big ones are hard to find. Also, they turn purple. She has a fair amount of Spanish ancestry, which you wouldn't guess because she's really pale and redheaded. But yep, well, she's most, <laughs> I would never guess that. Yeah, she's uh, so her maternal grandmother is uh, full Native American. She is Blackfoot and uh, Cherokee and has like a special place in the tribe. And then um, she, her father, one of his grandparents, is a, is also I forget what tribe they were. And then, um, there her family is also uh, on the books in I think it's Saint Augustine, Florida, as that as uh, one of the um, arriving families of the original Floridian. Uh, settlement so there is a lot of not white stuff in there and she and her brother are just as pale as they can be but their younger sister tans like nobody's business it's crazy and uh so i mean you know you can never tell by looking at people what's going on and the same thing goes for you know scarring you don't know until you know uh, because you, what you have to realize is that a stretch mark basically is a scar. It's just inside the skin. And um, as far as things you can do, massaging them is actually very helpful. Potentially some infrared, maybe. Uh, but that's more preventative. A lot of it is just don't grow as fast. You know? <laughs> what? And here's the thing, though. Sometimes that doesn't matter either. Sometimes even if people are growing slow, they'll still get stretch marks. And 
I wouldn't worry about it. I really, you know, it's whatever. It's like, what, you know, is it a bad thing that you're able to grow fast? No. So, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's just, it's just your body, not a big deal. It just kind of means you got buff. And the, um, as far as minimizing appearance, there are a few things that do work. The biggest one is time. The next one, medically, you can get over the counter. There's a cream called Strivectin. I forget what's in it. Um, there's two aspects to why that works. One is actually some of the compounds that are in it, and the other is literally the massaging of the scar tissue uh, that's in the skin that, ca- that, that is the stretch mark. Um, massaging and applying pressure to the um, uh, like stretch, like going through and kind of just, you know, it's the same thing with skin. You know, if you want your face to stay less wrinkled, the cream that you use is, a, is almost irrelevant. What actually matters is massaging your face for a couple of minutes, maybe two or three times a day, because that stimulates the fibroblasts in your skin to keep making more collagen everywhere. It's, it's really not that different from the concept of tendon strengthening. If you put enough tension on to mechanically activate those connective tissue building cells, guess what they're going to do? They're going to make more connective tissue. So that's... This the, is pretty good. This is a uh, weekend branch of left coat beauty. <laughs> like beauty tips. I like this. Hey. <laughs> I'm massaging my face right now as we speak. I don't want these wrinkles. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. is like that's something that you either do early or it, there's no going back from wrinkles because they're just kind of a pressure thing where connective tissue breaks down in specific areas and it's really not going to build back up to the same degree that it was. And it's, it's a normal part of aging too. And genetics go in. I look younger than many of my uh, classmates who are 10 years younger than me. And I don't massage my face. But um, that's just both sides of my family age slow. So that's it. Just is what it is. They all live forever if they don't get cancer and they all get, you know, cancer in their like late 80s if they get it. So, I mean, it's whatever. Um, the, the other thing that actually does help is topical vitamin E. And that's something you can do uh, if you notice an area is growing really quickly. This can reduce the prevention, the, the uh, appearance and the uh, severity of stretch marks that do come. I'm not sure that it's really accurate to say it can prevent stretch marks, but it can minimize uh, what happens. And that's where you take, so you can either buy vitamin E oil, or a lot of times it's way cheaper to get the 1,000 IU uh, gel caps. Never take that much vitamin E. That is enough vitamin E to reduce clotting factor and cause increased bleeding. So I would not ever take supplemental vitamin E um, orally. But on the skin, it doesn't absorb in, you know, it's just, it's a local thing. And for whatever reason, I honestly don't know the mechanism on that off the top of my head. I'm not even sure we really know what's going on with that. Um, but there does seem to be something to topical vitamin E being kind of just rubbed into the area. I doubt, I doubt this is going to make a difference for wrinkles, but I, I don't know. It won't hurt you. Um, but for stretch marks, it actually does seem to be the other thing that actually reduces them. Awesome. Yeah, so that would be like right. one is, the, is, is uh, give it time to strivectin, which is expensive, and you do need to use it, I think, 
I want to say, I know at least six weeks, but I think it's like six months to get like uh, maximum effect. That's not a prescription. Um, there are generic versions of it. So just look for the active ingredient and you'll see, and it's like half the price, which does make it affordable. And then mm -hmm. the vitamin E is very cheap. You just get a gel cap, break it open and just rub it right on with the strivactin, whatever. And um, I would not uh, go crazy on anything beyond that. There probably are therapies like um, low intensity, la like infrared laser and stuff like that, but you're not going to get insurance coverage. It's going to be expensive. I don't know how effective it is. Um, I would do these things first before worrying about anything else. And do not worry about it. You're, nobody's going to give two craps. You know what I mean? There, there's going to be yes, really sir. weird superficial people, and you don't need them. All right, let's move on to the second part of his uh, huge question. Because This part is really big, so I'm just going to make it shorter. Uh, he says... What are your recommendations for people with recurring Golver's elbow slash medial epigondylitis? Yeah. Uh, he's got it in both his elbows over a year ago. And basically, he got it from doing one-arm chin-up negatives. And he uh, yeah. followed Stephen Lowe's tendonitis rehab protocol. Uh, do you know that protocol? He, he has no, linked just, it. just describe it to me. Yeah, or, or if you... Uh, if, I, I, if, I remember it being uh, 25. Like, I'll, I'll throw the link to you. Yeah, but also at the same time, I'll tell you what it is because I, I sure. think if I remember correctly, it's like high rep, uh, but slow eccentrics is what it basically is. But that's oh. uh, and, and yeah, I got this book. I I really wanted to like it um, because I think Stephen's extremely committed to uh, just to helping people in general. Be honest with you, I do like him. Um, and and we talked a lot. I've I've offered to help, you know, like in the future with a uh with a newer edition of the book to to make things much more readable and organized. But um it's not bad, it's not great. It definitely doesn't live up to the hype, but I I I do think that unlike uh the overcoming gravities which are very much a mixed bag that the information in it is much more reliable. Um the and, and and you know to his to his credit and everybody else who tries to talk about this stuff including myself you can't predict what any one person's going to respond to when you look into the research for any given injury there's no protocol that has better than like a 30 to 50% success rate basically and that's because we don't really know why different people develop similar injuries you know, so there are, and, and, and some people, we all have different versions of the same genes, and that means that we have slightly different um, response, like we, we respond the same way fundamentally, but it's kind of like there's a difference between a regular street car and a high-performance race car, even though the um, they both burn gasoline, you know what I mean? And so... Mm -hmm. Even though they had the same, all the same basic systems, you know, cooling, transmission, blah, blah, blah. One reacts differently than the other to a similar degree of exertion. And um, so they, they, the maintenance requirements for them are somewhat different. And uh, problems tend to happen in different areas, too. So because of the way that they're used and the way they respond. And bodies are very similar to that. Uh, so it's, you kind of have to start with one thing and try it 
and 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 doing it for like a couple of weeks is honestly often not enough which is uh kind of frustrating there are some injuries that don't start responding to therapy for months and they are responding it's just you can't tell so you've got to be super patient with stuff like this um i actually have that book somewhere over in my stack over here um i got it is it out it's been out for a while. I got it because I wanted to give an honest review. Somebody was talking about it, and um, I really wanted to like it. I, I liked the. I think it had very good promotion. I, I thought they did a great job uh, promoting it. Um, My, I, as far as the way says, they did uh, it, it, it underdelivered. Sure? But it says it's supposed to come out in 2019 winter. Mm, no. Do you, are you talking about overcoming? Well, it says on that same page that I just sent you. He may be doing a he may be doing a second edition. I, 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 oh, okay. I know okay. that he knows that he needs to, and um, and here's the thing, you know, anybody who's ever tried to write something knows that it is super hard to get it right the first time, and if you don't have laymen who are doing your as a part of your editing and proofreading, then you're not going to have the product you were hoping for. It just is. Isn't that overcoming posture you were reading? No. Overcoming poor posture? No. Let me... Uh, I know that... Oh, shit. Never mind. Yeah, I think it's poor posture you were talking about. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the nightest one isn't out yet. That's my yeah. fault. That's my fault. Yeah. So I have overcoming poor posture. I was yeah, yeah, not yeah. the most impressed with that. Um, but it's not bad either. It's just that uh, there. it was approached, I think, with... Um, a somewhat narrow view in certain areas with very good uh very good explanations in others. I think the biggest thing I had with it is that it's not that the language is not as accessible. Like when you hear, you know, pain is a very complex topic. One of the first models of pain was the gate control theory. No explanation of what that is. This theory quickly became outdated. More models began to replace it. The two primary models, neuromatrix theory of pain and the biopsychosocial model. And so you're, you know, and then he goes into the, the factors that go into that one and then talks about neuromatrix and they do an all right, but see, like, it's just, it's a lot of, it moves very fast. And, and this is one of those challenges. This part's actually... For a book this size, I don't think that <coughs> I don't think that it was possible um, to do it to do a better job with the space that they took. But they only took uh, you know one, two, three and a half pages to talk about that. Um, so you, there's limited understanding, and so it's more of a college level text. Which makes sense because you know he and the guy who wrote it are both uh, physical therapists. They're you know they have a hell of a lot of education, so it is extremely hard to dial it all the way back to the uh, you know eighth grade level, and that's what you have to do. That's that should always be your goal when you want a wide audience because that's the typical average reading level is eighth to tenth grade. And that's not bad. I mean, that's reading Shakespeare and stuff, but it's not, um, it's not, it can't be super technical. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Uh, there, there's also like the, the, then the, the next part, 
on like pain and muscular tightness is not done very well at all. Um, I mean, the organization's okay. It's just that a lot of the stuff is uh, very incompletely explained and is not actually very accurate. Um, the and then the next part, you know, adaptive responses to stress and strain over time is actually done really well. Um, so, and, and that's the, that's one of the things that I see in, uh, like overcoming gravity as well. I know this wasn't meant to be a review of Stephen Lowe's stuff. Um, <laughs> no, but this is just things that I think all the time is like, and I'm not trying to rip him either. I, I have a lot of respect for what he's doing. And he's really has exceptionally good uh, covers and names for things. And they do a wonderful job of telling people what they want to give them. It's just the uh, final products take... I think that because they have a limited budget and a small crew and they're trying to avoid leaks, I don't think that they have the right editors... And I don't think they have an editor. I think that's the problem. They don't have a professional editor and proofreader. I just don't see that listed anywhere. And that's uh, that's very unfortunate. That's what they need. I think if they if they do that, like, I mean, I see where they're saying, you know, edited by this person and proofreaded by this person. But um, what's coming out of it, these people don't know enough and are not connected enough to uh, lay people. I think they, you have to have that combination. I don't know. That's that's where the disconnect is happening. So uh, I'm hopeful for the tendonitis thing. I think that that is by far where he's got the best chance of really hitting a home run because that's completely within his wheelhouse. The posture thing is not as much because he's trying to go into neuroscience and things like that, and it's not his area of expertise. Um and that's not a knock either. It's a challenge we all do, we all run into. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I always have cautious optimism because he is smart and, uh, yeah, he's super smart. He does. And, and I think that, you know, the, the hard part with trying to do things online is that I think that you would get a substantially stronger interview than you get the written material. You know what I mean? Because I think that he probably does know what he's doing really well. It's just that putting it into text is extremely hard. So I'm excited. I don't know. We'll see. So tell me again about the protocol that you mentioned. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, uh, because I remember people referring back to this in the past, he's basically, he's giving, uh, first in that article, he, uh, well, he's doing the, 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 what was it called? The the R I A P thing. No, rest, eyes it, oh, uh, use insets. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pain, blood flow, whatever. I think um, like don't quote me on this. I don't know for sure, but ev- the, the, the thing is eventually do twenty five reps. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's he's yeah, he's and debunking then, and then he's the rice thing. Yeah, which is oh yeah, he's debunking. R-I-A-P. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So yeah, then yeah, I yeah, yeah. Okay, like debunking. I said, yeah. he knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, but he's he's talking about uh, eccentrics being very important. Yeah, uh, and he's saying, well, well, apparently thirty to fifty reps with his write up. Yeah, his, his write up is um, from what I'm seeing based on the link, and we'll we'll include the link in here so that people can uh, yeah know, take yeah. a look. Don't quote me on this. I'm I reading this. I I think that. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to read through what I'm seeing so far is very good yeah 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 
Uh, so so there is there is so the, this is also showing uh, some limited uh, knowledge on certain areas, but he is absolutely the things that I do see. Um, and the only reason that I have that is medical school. I mean, you can't replace that level of hard science with anything else, um, and you're not supposed to. The yeah. um, but I, I so in my in my opinion, I think that this is a great page to have a, a permanent link to. Um, yeah. That's just my opinion. Um, no, I think it's I, a great I think article. That it's so, so is he? So I'm looking so, at yeah, different the, the, um, things that he's saying to do. Uh, I really don't have a problem with any of the no, he's, he's uh, exercises. No, he's recommending collagen with vitamin C. Yeah, of course. And he's actually referring to you. Nadiment's anecdotal ev evidence on ge uh, gelatin plus vitamin C combo with resistant training. Therapy. That's pretty cool. And, you know, I, I think that uh, what he needs to do there is um, also include some of the, uh, like the, the PubMed links. Just so that people can uh, see that it's not like a random thing. It actually. He did. He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He did, he did okay, did, great. Yeah. yeah, like I don't have time to you know go through all his stuff. No, no, I, but, I'm quickly uh, scrolling through towards it, but it, it yeah. looks really good. Like I said, I think that for th in, in th this is th this is basically his wheelhouse. This is where he is going to shine. So I'm ex I, I, yeah. I expect that this is going to be a really good book. Um, oh, <laughs> there, yeah, there right it there. is. I see it. That's hilarious. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, but but anyway, um, I like it. The person who sent the question has he says he's been doing that for a while, and uh, but it's still incredibly frustrating because he's nowhere near where he was before. Right. Um, and, and sometimes he feels he's. I'm going to tell you aggravation. a 15 second story. Um, okay. When I had bicep tendonitis from and i say bicep tendonitis i had generalized forearm tendonitis i had medial okay. lateral every fucking thing that went across the elbow was jacked up because i was strong i just pulled myself hand over hand up ropes and yeah. um because i could because it was cool and we were doing you know um we were in seal training and i just was doing it and yeah the yeah, yeah. um you know, people who are wondering, there is a reason why you should be using your feet when you do high volume rope climbs, um, especially when you're going for speed. Uh, but anyways, so it took me from it took me about six months just to get to where my elbows didn't hurt. I'm not talking about didn't hurt with like hard exercise. I'm just talking about where. When I was to, to get back to my baseline from before the injury, that took six months of daily, not three times daily, like stretching three, four times a day gently mm -hmm. with specific stretches that I made up because the ones I was given weren't working well enough. And what that is, is I'm going to demonstrate on the video. So typically... The key points is you see where my thumb is at. It's at the very back of the base of my palm on the this back of bices, my hand. This is for by the way. Yeah, so this is for uh, the, the um, wrist flexors, which is the medial epicondylitis. So because they all, oh, okay. they, they all attach here, and I'm, I'm just uh, showing. They, they all attach right here, okay? And it's not just them. It's the, the pronator muscles, 
the the uh, superficial flexors. There's a deep set that actually attach to the forearm bones themselves to a large extent. You don't need to worry about that. And also there's some of the um, wrist muscles that go in both directions also attach here and a different set attaches here. So you have, but they all go wrapping in this direction, like this spiral type of direction. So like, for example, if you see here, where my wrist and if I'm in a neutral position, as I supinate, I'm actually stretching those muscles. So if you're not supinating at the wrist, and that's not the same, that's not externally rotating at the shoulder. You want the shoulder to stay still and the wrist to turn out as it extends. So the way to do that is I would grab my, my fingers across here, and my thumb would go behind the pinky at the base of my palm. Because what that did is it allowed me to get a really, you, you can see here when I line up with uh, the camera, how this twists and it's, it's very comfortable when you get used to it. The key is that pressure point on the pinky. If your pinky's here, you're just gonna feel like you're tearing your fingers off your hand. If your pinky is back here, just above the wrist, at the bottom of the metacarpals, the, then you are going to feel really comfortable and you'll actually feel the stretch here throughout the forearm going all the way up. And so what I would do is first, I would get the wrist all the way back with a bent elbow and twist it and then slowly start extending the arm until the tension started increasing. So at first I was like this and, and the people who are looking at this will, will see that my elbow is like, you know, 70 degrees bent, you know, I'm not even close to straight, but that's because I have a big, strong stretch here. So I don't want to keep going and tear something. That's stupid. I want to be comfortable. And as time went on, I was able to straighten more and more and more until I was completely straight like this and also was able to turn out and the starting with the arm. And then I would also do the same thing with the arm straight, pull back and then, you know, twist the entire forearm and it takes a little while to figure out where you need to put your thumb but once you get it you're like oh wow like this is a real stretch and that is what you need and you got to hold that you know just like any stretching protocol if you want the best results from it you need a total of three to five minutes per stretching session and you need at least uh you know five or six stretching sessions a week more than that doesn't seem to help very much uh in terms of flexibility but in terms of pain your mileage may vary. So, you, you know, you have to remember that there's multiple things you're doing. One, you are reprogramming your fear of, and it's, it's not like a conscious fear, but like you've already been trained to kind of expect pain. And that means you're going to get pain to a greater degree. Because pain is a processing outcome. It's not a signaling outcome, if that makes sense. So when somebody you know, gives you, tells you a number. The number doesn't mean anything until your brain processes it and gives it context, right? It's just information with no meaning. You have to give it the meaning. And that's why different people who can be told the exact same thing have different reactions. So the, uh, that, that's a big thing with pain. So that's the top-down part of pain. And the signaling, you also have to change. You have to slowly desensitize all of these different circuits that you're activating, pressure circuits, nociception. All of these things go into 
uh, essentially interneuron networks that influence that processing activity. So you can change the signal volume and you can change the way that you think about the signal. And between those two things, <coughs> excuse me, that takes care of essentially the entire central part of pain. And then the peripheral part is the tissue itself. And you've got to let it heal. You've got to let it stretch out. Um, you know, you have to let everything, quote unquote, get back to normal. And it's a slow process. So, you know, you've been dealing with it for a year. Chances are that you have gone through periods where you felt better and thought you could go back to faster progression. And you hit a certain point and things start having problems again. And so then you go back and you've just been, you know, bouncing and you've got to slow down your rate of progression. You have to really focus on staying comfortable all the time. You're going to have to focus a little more on microloading certain things and uh, limiting your volume. You know, you, that this is a very frustrating thing. Um, and there are also, you may just have limitations that you can't completely get past, and you may need supportive equipment. You may need to use like those below the elbow Chopat uh, straps, like people use on the patellar tendon, just to take some pressure off. And, um, you know, does it really take pressure off? Probably not, but it creates a different uh, feeling and it distracts you from some of that pain. And it can change some of the tendon forces. And, so you're, uh, you know, those things all matter. So that's kind of, that's what I'm trying to get is you have to take a multidisciplinary approach. You have to be patient and you have to realize that there's not going to be like a magic fix for you and you cannot do things the way that you did them before you got this problem, especially now that you've had it for a year. You know, you have to, you've had it for a year. It's going to take a while to, you know, kind of get past. and. Like for me, every single time that I was starting to curl more than 200 pounds, I started having uh, elbow tension issues. And the thing is, I was not intelligent enough. I didn't have somebody standing by me who knew what I know now. And so I just kind of kept doing the same thing over and over again and kept running into the same point. So I, I never progressed in my barbell curls past 205 pounds. Um, because I didn't understand what I needed to do. I didn't understand that at that point I needed a lot more low weight, uh, more reps kind of work and that I needed to go through and cycle my training appropriately and not work heavy, like every, like not do like a heavy set every day, you know, of training or even every week necessarily. Um, and it doesn't always need to be 200 pounds, um, you know, just to keep my strength. Like there were things that I just wasn't doing smart enough. And I think that if you look at you, uh, you will find that you have similar uh, patterns. So the first thing is you gotta stop beating yourself up. You gotta take it slow. There were certain areas that, and you know, to give you some hope, you know, when I was 210 pounds, I could do one-armed chins, no pain. You know what I mean? So. But I took my time and I spent like a year just doing assisted one arm chins and uh, I kept them easy. You know, I wanted them to feel comfortable and I just slowly used less and less and less assistance. And I was just doing the finger assist, but it felt great. You know, I never had any problems. I always made sure that I did enough assistance to where even though I was doing most of the work with one hand, 
that I never felt any kind of strain or pressure. And that allowed me to achieve things that, you know, earlier in life, I just couldn't pull off um, because I wasn't being smart enough or patient enough, you know? So I know that was a lot of talking, but yeah, yeah, it's there's no quick answers to some of these things. And you really do have to kind of dive a little deeper, you know, in order to get something that is, uh, I guess, like more acceptable than bro, just slow down. You know what I mean? Because that's not helpful. Yeah. That, that doesn't give you any context or understanding. It's just me telling you something, and I'm just another guy you've never met. Sure, people think I'm smart, whatever. Yeah, I've done some school, but I'm just a dude. So being able to walk you through some personal experiences and also some of the underlying processes that you're dealing with and understanding that just like you know, unlearning a fear or unlearning a bad habit, it doesn't just happen in three weeks. It takes time. You know, you can almost think of it in terms of like uh, learning to cope with uh, anxiety or PTSD or anything else that's a processing issue. Uh, it's a long term approach. And yeah, you can make noticeable progress fairly early, but you have to stay on track. You can't change your approach just because you're feeling better. And um, that's the hardest thing for everybody in all aspects of recovery is being is remaining consistent and not getting tricked into thinking that you're cured. You know what I mean? You got to keep it yes, up. Sir. Stay strong by staying consistent and don't try and hit the gas. Just creep forward and you'll be all right. All right, let's move on to the next question. We got 10 more questions to go. Uh the Let's first go. question uh, the second question is by Yuri von Hook. Mhm. And uh, it's a very, uh, that's important questions, man. He asks, with summer vacation around the corner, I was wondering what your advice or view is on maintaining physique and strength your uh, building during holidays. Because you can't train as much, right. or not at all. And often you cannot even maintain your diet. Mm -hmm. So for this goal of maintaining fitness, is there a certain training style you would advise to do during these days? Yeah, I would. With stuff like that, A, Don't worry about it. Anything you lose, you'll build back super quick. Don't worry quick. about it. Yeah. B, enjoy your vacation. One of the most important aspects of long-term success is not being obsessed when you're supposed to be taking time off. <laughs> a couple yeah. of weeks is actually good for you. So will you lose a little bit during that? Sure. You're also going to build it back the first three weeks that you're back, so you shouldn't worry about it. Um But there are also people who like to just kind of randomly do some stuff. And something as simple as just repping out with bodyweight pull-ups and, you know, just other things that you can do. And just basically training to failure with limited volume and very easy exercises that you can easily do, like 20 comfortable reps with at least. Just do that. And don't think any more than that. Just do it. You know what I mean? Pick an easier version of pseudo planche push-ups or something that you can do 20, 30 good reps with that might not be very much lean. That's fine. And just, you know, you might start with more lean and use less lean in the later reps. Like, I don't care. Just take it. Just do and, your reps, bro. Yeah. Just, you know, when you realize you're about to start losing form, 
shift the reduce the lean so that you can keep your form and do some more reps and then reduce the lean and then finish up with just regular push-ups so that you can take things all the way to uh, failure safely and just only do two or three sets that way. You're going to maintain everything, you know? And what about uh, diet? The, the only thing that I would think about is just bring protein with you. Don't give a fuck about anything else. Do what you want. Don't yeah, think exactly. about your calories, okay? If you get a little chubby, food. that's just part of you enjoying your vacation. Um, yeah. And if you don't want to, then just eat less of the same things, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're, you, you've got control, and you, but you don't always need to use it. That's the thing, you know? Letting it go for a week is a wonderful, liberating feeling. And it makes you hungry to get back into it, too, because you can say, oh, yeah. man, my mind is just so refreshed because I'm but not what about thinking. That? So what, what about when they get back? How should they restart? So they can't just dive into heavy lifts immediately. No, there's actually very good data on how to approach this. Uh, for every week of a layoff, here's what you do. I'm just going to use easy numbers. We're going to say you're okay. using 100 pounds. I don't care what on. It's 100 pounds because this is how we're going to illustrate the point. For every week off, you should drop the weight by 5%. So if you're off for three weeks, you should come back and you should be using 85 pounds for the first week that you're back. The second week that you're back, you should be using 90 pounds. And the third week that you're back, you should be using 95 pounds. And the fourth week, you're right back to what you left with, which was 100 pounds. That's the right way to work back in after a layoff. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's Clear. it. Clear and concise. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you're not adding volume. You're not adding sets. You're just building back up safely to the resistance that you were comfortable with. If you're really young and healthy, you may not need to do it that slow. Um, if you are old and beat up, you may decide to go a little slower than that. But that's the basic guideline I would suggest everybody does. Um, and then once you hit your fourth week, then you can, you know, restart mass cycle or something like that. You know, but that, exactly. that first three weeks should just be like, okay, well, what did I end with? And you're yeah. going to do those, you know, you're going to do, you're going to use that, you know, you're going to take 85% of that weight and just use the RIR. Keep, just go to like two RIR, just like normal reps in reserve for people who aren't familiar. And so yeah. if, if you can, if you think that you basically go until you say, I've got like two good reps left, so I'm going to stop the set now. And the, that's all it means. You're not as concerned with the number as you are with the feeling of, I've got like one or two left, probably two. This is the end of my set. And that's all you do. No big deal. All right, next question by Nicholas Massman. Mm -hmm. I think this is an amazing question because I also sometimes question this. This one is uh, this one's all yours. What are some signs that various rep ranges work well for us individually besides PRs? How do you know a rep range works well for you? So one thing that I would say, obviously, your personal progress is the first thing you should be looking at. Um, mm -hmm. There is no single greater indicator of your body responding well, then your body actually responding well. 
I'm just, I know that sounds funny, and I kind of feel like a jackass saying it like that. No, but here, but, 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 me, but you got to put it in context. Okay, so, but there are other things. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You look at the research, okay? And this isn't just numbers on paper. I've had this experience every single person alive who's lifted heavy and lifted light and done both for a long time has had this experience. You feel a lot less beat up when you're lifting on the lighter side than when you're lifting on the heavier side. So even if you are growing well with, you know, five reps using a seven rep max, which is your two reps in reserve, um, you may find that after, you know, two or three months, you're still making progress, but you start feeling just worn down. Like you're not even really tired. You're just like, I don't know, something's a little off. Yeah, you got to change it up. A little bit stiff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's time to change that up. And it might not be that long. You may find like, okay, it's been four weeks. And uh, like the first three weeks felt great. I still feel good, but I can tell, you know, it's like, and it's hard to even put into words what you can tell, but you can just tell that you're coming up on this starting to be a trade-off instead of everything being good. And that's the yeah, time. I think people, that's I the, think that's people the time know to what switch. it is. And that's the thing. Like it's, you're never going to yeah. know until you go. So... The reason why early on we ex- we want you to expose yourself to like 15 reps with two reps in reserve, to 10 reps with two reps in reserve, and to five reps with two reps in reserve is that those are substantially different effort levels, but as a whole, on average, they're going to cause the same amount of growth. So you've got to find out what feels good to you and kind of for how long. And that's going to let you make good decisions about what you need when. And also understanding that you may find that, wow, you know, when I switch these cycles up every four weeks, I just feel great. Or you know what? I can run eight weeks easy and feel kick ass with like that 10 reps. With the 15, I just start getting a little too much volume. And with the five, I just start feeling a little worn down. And so you can customize how long you work with each rep range. Does that make sense? I like that. I like that a lot because I know a lot of people react differently. For me, yeah, a, 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 a <clears throat> long cycles didn't really work well. I, I would always end up in problems, even if I felt good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would get that worn out feeling you were talking about. You where you know your shoulders feel a little bit stiffer. It right. takes longer to warm up. You know, right. it's like you're not as motivated to go to the gym. Right. Just general fatigue signs. And when I have shorter cycles, that, I don't know that refreshment every five or six weeks is really good for me. But when it gets mm-hmm. to eight weeks, I'm getting, I can't handle it. I just die. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, that's totally fine. That just means that you've learned something about yourself. <clears throat> and now your personal implementation is probably going to be different than mine. And that is fine. That's totally fine. But I like that. Yeah. Like Cause we're following openness. the same like, rules and that's, exactly. that's where we're going as we continue these cycles and we continue offering more and more guidance and is that we're really turning people into educated lifters. And that's something that's sorely lacking. You know, you get kind of these yeah. BS explanations and you can't absorb everything at once. You can read a book, you can read it 10 times, but until you've kind of lived each chapter, they don't mean so much to you and you can't put it all together. And so instead of throwing everything all at once and letting people kind of screw themselves up by accident, we're giving you what you need month by month, and we're making sure that your mind and your body are built together. 
Exactly. Let's move on to the next question by Daniel Manu. Okay. Uh, this, <clears throat> this question is for me. He says, hey, Yad, tell us a funny story of yours. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I thought about this because I read this question before. I was like, I got to prepare for this one because I don't know. I have so many funny stories. But this one is related to calisthenics. So I, I think I'll, I'll tell that one. Okay. So I was, uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, you want to do this workout with Artem Mazurov, who's like a famous uh, calisthenics uh, guy. He's a Russian guy, really skinny, but insanely strong. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, yeah, dude, let's do it. It's awesome. I was in the middle of a mass cycle back then. I was really inflamed. Like, I was tired. I was like the end of the mass cycle. But I took two or three days uh, off. I hadn't done a lot of skills. So shredder planche was even hard for me. Um, anyway, I got there. We were, uh, the three of us, you know, his friend, my friend and some other guy and then him and, uh, and, and, and his girlfriend actually. So it was five, four or five of us and, uh, we were warming up doing a bunch of stuff and I was, I was fanboying about him. I was like, Oh man, you're so cool. You're like one handed handstands. Your full planche is so cool. And he was doing the shredder Maltese. And I looked at him. I was like, man, I wish I could do that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I said that to him, but I, and I couldn't back then. I had never, I had never done a, a Maltese. And then, okay, I just went to the bar. I was like, you know what? I'll try. And he looked at me. I was like, okay, go ahead, try. And I, I popped into into a full planche, a full Maltese. I kid you not. Held it for six to seven seconds. I fell out, and I looked at the camera. I said, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and then he looked at me, sort of betrayed like, <laughs> what, you're supposed to be <laughs> you're supposed to be weaker than me the uh, way you're talking yeah yeah that was that was the first part okay and then he was he was like oh cool 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 this is gonna happen that's fine so then he was doing uh the impossible dip you know but if people can see me that's basically like a tricep extension dip where you keep your body upright the entire time so it's really hard it's a really hard exercise and he was doing that, and he went to a straddle planche, then he went to a one-handed handstand, and I was like, damn, man, you're so cool. I wish I could do an impossible dip. And you know what? I'll try. And then I'll try it again. And what do you know? I could do it easily. You need to <laughs> share. He looked at me again. No, he looked at me again. He was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? Okay, but that was number two. Then the yeah. third time, he was doing full planches to handstands. Now... At this point, I had done trial planches to handstands. I could only do one reps. It was really difficult for me back then. So I, again, I was like, man, I wish I could do a full planche to handstand. That's so cool. <laughs> and sure enough, I did a full planche to handstand. And he just walked away. I was going to say, like like I'm out of here. This motherfucker is trolling the <laughs> yeah. shit out of me. I'm done. <laughs> but I was, I was genuine. I could not do these things. I know. And then the, I remember and then you the funniest me part this. was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the funniest part was, he, he just, uh, you know, he was like, okay, fuck you in his mind. Because I knew, I know he was thinking that. He went to a, into a handstand and he did 40 to 50 handstand push-ups freestanding. Wow. And then I was like, yep. <laughs> See, you're still, the, you're still the guy, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, I got destroyed there, but I wasn't even trying to compete. I was just really strong that day for some reason. It was just all the mastering <clears throat> and help. And I yep. could just do these things for some reason. And I was hyped because I, I wanted to impress him. And that's a, the that's a thing. Uh, Everybody is stronger on competition day. And it's not because your oh, body is yeah. magically different. It's just that, you know, when you're in training, you're supposed to be holding back. That's the whole point of training. Exactly, know? exactly. I am twice as strong when people are looking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's why you have not. to be so careful. No, but that's why I don't train in public as much yeah. as I used to. Uh, back in the old days, I went to a lot of shoot workout events. 
the last one I went to was like two years ago, I think. Because I, I just don't want to do that. I'm just, I know myself. You, you need to pop- share the video that you shared um, with us where you're sitting in, in that chair in the med school with your, with your one leg crossed over the other. And then you yeah, just press yeah, yourself. Yeah. And then I went. To- that's like the ultra <laughs> impossible yeah, dip. Yeah. Like that's, that's something else. <laughs> Cause I remember seeing that, oh. and I was just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I I don't even remember. It didn't feel heavy, but when I, I know watched the you video, didn't look like, heavy. Hey. You yeah, you were like, just oh, looking at the a- camera, like smiling, like. <laughs> Here's what was happening. Yad was like reading a book, okay, like this. I don't know if you can see my legs. I'm. No, I was not reading. I was just sitting. I was just well, sitting whatever. and looking around. He, he was in the library yeah. at med school, okay, and and I, I've been there. It's a beautiful place, and he's just like sitting here like this. Kind of looks at the camera and just straightens his arms and his body doesn't move at all. It's like he's still in an invisible chair. Just now he's like this. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah, and then I went to a shuttle planche, did a push up, and then I went back to the Yeah, 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 position. yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That was that was, that was amazing. fun. That was uh I can still do those things. That's oh, I the know. Part. I can still You're stronger like, now. Like you don't realize, like, you know, even though you've had some issues. Yeah. You know, you have built up so much strength and you know the things that you're still doing now even for maintenance like you're maintaining that and it's there that's the thing like you know people don't understand that this mass training is so much more important powerlifters do it everybody does it because it is really the only safe way to reliably build yourself to superhuman levels and every so often you get to show it off you know but you can't do that so like that often. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can do the weaker stuff when you're really strong. Yeah. Well, like for example, people can hold a full planche for thirty uh-huh. seconds. They full planche all the time because yeah, it's fucking. Yeah, but they're they're planche. doing ten seconds and you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's the same but thing. But it's easy front lever. for them. Yeah, exactly. Well, for the front lever, I could do forty three mm-hmm. seconds. Mm-hmm. But when I was showing it off, I never did more than ten because who cares about more than ten? It doesn't look more impressive. So I always right. just went into a full lever of hell for 10 seconds. And I could do that even when I was beat up, tired as hell, had shoes on, whatever. Yeah. Like even those uh, steel shoes did not matter to me. Yep. It, it felt the same. And it's just, I, I built that capacity. And so I mm-hmm. could front lever whenever I wanted. And it's one of those fun things, you know, front lever yeah. was one of those things I could always do. You're know, like, oh, front lever, yeah, sure, whatever. That was dips for me. So I never yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most I ever did in a set was 50 like for training. And, um, I don't know why I just, I think it was just because I, I don't know. I mean, I just didn't, I, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, oh, you're, they, you're like enough. They were fast enough. They were fast. Yeah. 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 But, and then, so I just started adding weight to that and that's how I ended up doing like, you know, 50 reps of 120 pounds. That was the heaviest dumbbell that we had. And so that's what I just held between my knees. And, um, Jesus. yeah, you just put it right above your knees between like your lower thighs and you just pinch it and you just do your dips. And then you get off and put the dumbbell back. But I started with like, you know, 40 or 50 pounds because I knew that that was easy. And um, I just every so often I was like, all right, well, and I started doing like 20 dips. And then I was just like, man, you know, I feel good. I think I can just do a few more today. So I was like, all right, cool. Well, I mean, I just kind of went to the same feeling and it just ended up being more and more dips. And then uh, I just got to a point where I said, you know, I just 
I mean, this is this set is taking like 40 seconds now, you know, because when you're doing dips fast, you do a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what I was exactly. doing. And, uh, you know, I just kept adding weight to it little by little. I just went up like five pounds at a time and I would just kind of wait until it felt easy at 50 reps again. Just do it, do it, do it. So one day my buddy Davis, dude, Chris Davis, shout out. Uh, he'll probably never see this. He is black Superman. I'm just telling you right now. He's five foot nine. <laughs> he has small wrists like small elbows um his pecs are about three inches thick i'm not even kidding you it's like i don't understand his lats and i don't mean out i mean like when you look at his back it was like he had butt cheeks on his like big well-developed butt cheeks in the middle of his back and it was crazy and he was 162 pounds okay i've seen him easily hit like two, three reps with 315 pounds. He's literally benching double his body weight. I've seen him do 10 dead hang one arm pull-ups, not one arm chins, one arm pull-ups in a row with one arm and then do nine with the other arm and then hop down. And I was, and this was just like, it didn't even look that hard for him. And I was like, what? So he was telling me the story, right? Um, he was at Bud's two years before I was and at Bud's like, it's, it's a weed out program. You're being hazed. You're being, you know, physically, voluntarily, physically tortured with exercise, basically. And you're, you're just trying to show that you're tough enough to be a Navy SEAL, that you're, you're committed, that you don't care about pain. And so, uh, things are supposed to be hard. Nothing was hard for that guy. And... (laughs) Now, like nothing was nothing was too much for me, but nothing was hard for him. There's a difference. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. That's awesome. There is a difference. Listen, <laughs> listen, this dude. So here's how he got found out because he eventually got performance dropped because um, they they got angry at him. The instructors did because. He was always like acting like, you know, I'm somewhere in like the bottom of the upper third of the class, whatever. And so, you know, they'd be doing pull-ups and he was like, you know, like doing the pull-up, you know, like kind of reaching his chin up and whatever. And so he's like me. I used to do that. The guy next to him couldn't finish a pull-up. He was already at the top of his pull-up. So he in front of everybody, he just I think he was just had an idiot moment. Plus, I think he likes to show off like he didn't like to show how he gets strong. And also, he was just born crazy strong. But he reached down, grabbed the guy's collar and pulled him up while still holding his chin above the bar with one freaking hand. Who does that? I've never heard of anything like that in my life. He was a legend, dude. I, so he would do stuff when he thought nobody was right. He taught me to jump. OK, so. Because I was like, I was just watching him practice, you know, and I was like, Davis, how do you do this, man? Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm strong, but I can't do that. And so he taught me jumping techniques and uh, we would just do broomsticks and we just hold the broomstick for each other. Me, him and my buddy Austin. Shout out to uh, Maurice Austin. I don't know where he's at now, but, you know, he's my brother and um, I hope he's doing well. But the uh, so we would be practicing this stuff and I got to where I could jump 10 feet. Because that was how far apart the gripe pads were. People who don't know, like the floor, the, the 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 floor of the ship has like these points where you're supposed to anchor down, and like you, you tie down like Humvees and stuff so they don't fall off when the ship rolls. And yeah. um, 
So I would jump from one pad to the next. Most of them were eight feet apart. There were certain sets that were 10 feet apart. Um, there was one set from the end of the wind tunnel onto the, uh, the turntable because we had an area that it wasn't enough space to, for these vehicles to turn. So the floor itself was circular and it turned. So you just get your vehicle on one side, it turns 180 degrees, and now it can go down the next ramp. And these were 13 feet apart. I know because we measured it with a freaking uh, ruler, you know, like one one of those uh, uh, measuring tapes. Listen, I've seen Davis jump where his toes are behind the first pad and he lands and his heels are past the second pad. He cleared a 13 foot. He was in the air too long. That's how it was weird. That's how weird it was. It was, he was just in the air a little too long. And <laughs> I mean, that's that, awesome. yeah, that's where like we measured it. Cause I was like, how far is that? Cause I can't do, I know I can't even come close to that. Bro, the world record is not 13 feet. Look it up. Shit. Yeah. We don't have any video. Can't prove it. But we were all there. It was unreal. I've seen him routinely just for kicks when he knows nobody's around. I was up like on the seventh floor of the, um, uh, I don't even remember. It's up the captain's ladder, not crap. Um, up where all the radar equipment is because we had guns up there. And um, he was down like at the back of the flight deck. And he's like looking around and there's all this equipment on there. There's a, uh, there, some kind of heavy machinery where the, um, the, the roof of it was like at his chin level. And with one step, he just like jumped, no hands, just, he just jumped on it like a cat. I was sweet, awesome. bro. I was sweet. I just dropped my broom. I was like, what did I just watch? I don't understand this person. Like, this is not a normal human being at all. Like, I already knew that, but it's weird when you see somebody do that many different things incredibly well. So here's where that my my dip story comes in, is I knew I was never going to beat Davis in pull-ups, but I always had supreme confidence in my dipping ability. Nobody could beat me. So he he was like, let's let's do it. And so I was like, all right, I mean, let's do it. I don't know what I can do. I don't think I can beat you. I'm just being honest, but I'm going to try. So he did 92 dips in a row. I did 93 dips in a row. Fuck you, Davis. <laughs> you got him, man. You're a legend now. It's the only thing that I'll ever get that man in in my entire life. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> he could probably do 150 now, so. I don't know. I, I've, seen, I've seen him do, and he did this just to screw with the Marines. They were having a pull-up competition and blah, blah, blah. So I went out there. I did like 26 pull-ups, which was like, I mean, way more than anybody my size could do. And um, so he comes out. There was a guy who did like, I don't know, 30, 35 pull-ups. It was a lot. So Davis comes out, and he doesn't even say anything. He just kind of like real quiet, like walks out the corner. And here's a crazy thing about Davis. When he's wearing his coveralls, he looks like a normal human being. Uh huh. So you can't really, because he doesn't have a huge frame. You know, um, he's just like abnormally built. And so you can't really see it through clothing. And, uh, and unless he's got like a thin T-shirt on or something. And then you're like, what are you hiding on your chest, man? And so anyways, he did 45 pull-ups. Just the last one looked exactly like the first one. Wasn't even breathing hard. And then just hopped down and walked away. Didn't say anything to anybody. 
and I was just dying. I just fell over. I was like, this is oh, tro- okay, tro- trolling Marines. Wait. Anyway, sorry, that was a digression, but... Yeah, no, no, y- yeah. He's fucking insane. Uh, yeah, so... I gotta train some more after this. The, 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 <laughs> the point I was trying to make was somehow related to the question that you asked, but I don't remember what it was anymore. No, it was, it was about me telling a funny story, but then you also told a funny story. Yeah, so yeah, 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 funny yeah. stories out there. So we got, hey, here you go. Two funny stories. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's move on to the next question by Tomic Vojtazik. He says, do you have any tips for combining planche and front lever work with powerlifting? Yeah, don't do both at the same time with high intensity. So I have a front lever cycle. Or you mean uh, don't do planche and powerlifting together or don't do front lever and planche together? I'm not saying don't powerlift. I mean, I always recommend doing incline bench um, you know, and flat bench if you like. It doesn't really matter which one you do. If you had to pick one, I would suggest incline. But um, the uh, you can absolutely bench for your basic strength. It's a wonderful exercise when it's done right. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, powerlifting is about lifting a heavy weight. It's not about getting... It is about getting stronger, but it's also about changing your leverage. So you're looking, and it's got a very specific set of rules. So you're going to do things in powerlifting to minimize your bench press range of motion. That is the number one thing that will increase your bench press, is not having to move the bar as far. So um, that, that means that it's basically like doing partials, you know, but within the rules. So... When that's the majority of your training, you're not going to get the best raw strength gains overall. It's going to be super specific, and you're actually going to get better gains even in that if you're doing full range training with dumbbells or, or a machine or something and just using bench press as your technique training. Like the yeah, barbell only sense. technique training and use other things like the weighted push ups and uh whatever other you know like the the dumbbell press or like incline bench press stuff like that you would use that more as your basic strength and you would actually treat the bench press itself like a technique um that's how i would do it so yeah i like that does that yeah. make sense what about a front lever well a power lifter does not need any particular amount of back strength what they need is shoulders that don't fall apart so um yeah. You know, people are going to say, like, that's bullshit, man. You use your lats during deadlifts and all this. Yeah, of course you do. I'm not saying you don't need a strong back. I'm just saying that the things that give you a great front lever are not necessarily going to be, like, your weighted pull-ups are not your biggest exercise for a powerlifter. No. It's just not. exactly. Whereas it is the primary thing for a um, front lever. So you have a conflict of interest because part of the other part of powerlifting is being as strong as possible on those three lifts uh, for your weight class. So if you have, if you've built yep. two extra pounds of muscle on, on your back that really only helps you with a front lever, but doesn't make a difference for your deadlift, then what you just did is made yourself weaker in that weight class. Because even if all your lifts stay the same, there's a formula that's used to find the best overall lifter. And for two people in the same weight class, if they both lift the same thing, the lighter person wins. So the, um, because they're considered to be stronger since they both did the same thing, but one weighed a pound less than the other, or half a pound less, some yeah, shit like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so a lot of these things, they work like that. So it depends on like what your goals are. Like, I mean, I think like there's a casual who just wants to be super strong all around. 
you still have to cycle it. You have to pick whether my focus is more on planche or more on front lever, especially as you get stronger. And you have to swap back and forth between just maintaining one. And that means the basic strength, really, and uh, focusing on the other. Because as you get stronger, you require more volume and you also require a heavier weight to hit the same rep range. So you, you're, you're kind of working a little bit and, and your reflexes, the protective reflexes that you have are dulled. So it means that you're able to access a higher percentage of your strength, which means that compared to you know, your first six months of training, you're, 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 at, you're coming closer to your damage limits and you don't have really any room to spare to screw up. And that means that you're, you're going to be doing more repair work and less growth work after your workouts, which is, I think, personally part of why things start slowing down unless you're really, 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 really careful about what you do um, and why as you become super advanced in bodybuilding, you really do have to be like super OCD to keep making uh, mass gains. Um, but you, you have to switch back and forth. You get better results that way. You'll actually, if you spent two months uh, working on improving planche basic strength and only maintaining your front lever, and then you switch it up and you only maintain your planche and your pressing, and you really spend two months building your pulling in your front lever at the end of those four months your combined progress is going to be better than if you had tried to take a balanced approach to both the whole time and that is one of those things that separates uh intermediates and advanced athletes from beginners is that you can no longer kind of do everything at the same time yeah right makes sense so that would be i mean I know that's not like, you know, a written in stone answer, but I think that it has all the elements. I think you have to, you, you should be treating, you, you have to pick which one's more important and that may change from month to month and that's fine. But in any given month, you need to know what your goal is. And that includes pulling versus pushing as well as powerlifting versus the GST. Does that make sense? Exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. Let's move on to the next question by Alexander Igabog. All right. Uh, our friend, he's talking about a mana, so that's interesting. So I am at a point in mana training where I have decent compression and decent shoulder strength. Mm -hmm. I usually did V-sit mana-specific holds on parallels, but now I want to transition my training towards ground holds. Okay. My question is, at what point should one start practicing fingers backward holds, and what prehab exercises should one start, start off with? I think that's a great uh, question. Um, yeah, I think, I think so too. There's no, uh, there, there's no such thing as doing it too early. You just want to make sure that you're not putting uncomfortable pressure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's really the, that that's always like the the underlying rule for everything is that it shouldn't hurt. And yeah. if you if there's nothing you can do to make like if even like a table hold with your fingers backward hurts, which it shouldn't, um, then you should probably wear wrist wraps while you do it. And if that makes it comfortable, keep wearing the wrist wraps for a while and prioritize some wrist strengthening, some hand and wrist stuff. And um, you'll find that after, you know, a couple of months of that, that those problems kind of go away. Also, one thing uh, is, for example, if you're deep into your man training, you're pretty, you know, doing a lot of volume now, uh, don't immediately do 100% of your volume on the floor. Yeah. Start off with 10% on the floor and then 90% on parallels. Right. And make that shift slowly throughout the months. Exactly. So you want to make... That, that's very important, yeah. especially in his case. Start your first set on the floor so that you're not inflamed. 
And then, you know, when you feel comfortable and that's getting a little easier and it feels good, then transition your second set to the floor and so on and yeah. so forth until you are doing as much on the floor as you feel like doing. Exactly. And for prehab, just forearm stuff and yeah. uh, wrist stuff, really. It's just that that should be always a thing in your GSD stuff if you're doing supporting holds. Yeah. So the planche, handstands, uh, free mana, everything. You just need to, do, you need to get big forearms uh, and... Uh, you just got to do your prehab for that. So and yeah. we have a whole article on that. So you can just read that and, uh, yep. and also warm up your wrists, of course. Yep. And, and the, the, the one single thing that's, if we were going to say like for stretching, would be the hands backwards, straight arms stretch on the knees. You know what I'm saying? Where you're kneeling, you put your hands on the ground. What you're trying, yeah. you're, you're trying to lift the fingers and the knuckles off the ground while, you know, without relaxing, if that makes sense. And uh, you want the pressure to be close to the heel of the palm. And then you just lean backwards. And you go to a comfortable level of tension and you hold that for, you know, at first it might only be 10 seconds. Eventually you hold that for like at least 30. And you, you do like, you know, four, five, six reps of that. And you do that every day. And after a couple of months, you'll find that you have more wrist extension comfortably than you'll ever need in a mana. And at that point, you won't need to worry about it. Yeah. Let's move on and, to the and, next question. And, and, and Yod uh, shows oh, yeah. that. That's, Yod yeah, has yeah, that yeah. in his it's, wrist it's stuff. In a, it's in my wrist stuff. It's more ballistic when I do it, uh, but what Josh is saying is just hold it for longer. Mm -hmm. When I show it, it's usually like five seconds. In, but that's because you're, that's cause you're doing a warm-up. Yeah, it's the, that's the warm-up. But the, what he's saying is actual, you know, the routine for stretching. Right. Uh, do you recommend doing that after your training? or? Uh, I think it depends on the just... person. I think that if your goal is the flexibility, then you should do it whenever you have time. Um, the, the problem with doing it after this, the, the training is that you will be more inflamed. So like on a leg day, sure. Uh, on a core day, you know, if you don't do a lot of pulling or whatever and, you know, your, your forearms aren't particularly tight, sure. So, so preferably outside your wrist training part. So where you're not doing anything with your wrists. Yeah, at least for the harder sessions, yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. I, I would do some gentle stretching after those sessions, but I wouldn't try and make any kind of, you know, real progress. I would just treat it more exactly. as, you yeah. know, keep yourself from getting tight. Right. Uh, moving on to the next question by Stephen van der Klei. This is a question about our jelly beans. <laughs> uh, Joshua and Yad mentioned a few times the use of jelly beans. Can you guys tell me some more about this enhancer and are there alternatives? Yeah, any carbohydrate. It doesn't even have to be sweet. The sweetness has nothing to do with it. What, what, here's what we know. Um, well, first off, it's called carb rinsing. Yes. I think that's a good thing people know. Yeah, good call. So Yad's exactly right. What we're doing is we're taking advantage of uh, carb rinsing. I didn't know that this is what I was doing. I got this back in, I think, 2003 from the sidebar of, I think it was Fitness RX. I don't remember. It was an old magazine. And um, one, like, one of these pro bodybuilders was just talking about like little tricks and tips. And uh, you know, his, trip and his, his tip was like, you know, I'm in the gym for like two hours and I eat Skittles. Like I just have one or two Skittles between sets and I feel great. So I tried the Skittles and my stomach got upset after about 30 minutes. It's just too much acid for me. Um, I don't have any reflux or anything like that. Uh, it just, it, that the Skittles didn't sit well in my stomach past a certain point. It just was what it was. We're all different. 
So I went and got jelly because I realized like, you know, I bet this is just the, the citric acid. It's just got too much in there for me. Um, you know, cause I'm eating like half a bag of Skittles while I'm working out with short rest. Like it's not the best combination. Yeah. I heard about like, uh, you know, I had friends in Singapore. They were like, bro, we always have honey and bread and we just take a small bite between every set. So I tried that, but it was messy. Um, you know, so I was kind of frustrated with that. And then I tried a bunch of different stuff and what I found worked best for me uh, was just having jelly beans. I just got jelly belly. I tried the store brand. I tried the jelly bellies. Any jelly bean that looks like a jelly belly and actually is made with sugar is going to work. Um, okay. So what is it actually works? What is it about carb rinsing? What does it do? It's purely neurological. What I thought I was doing was supporting my blood sugar levels and like, you know, keeping myself from fatiguing as my liver got sort of to its, uh, it's not that it's, yeah, there's a point at which your liver stops sharing so easily um, because it's kind of designed to be more of a battery for your brain than anything else. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you totally. know, so. Um, but what it's actually doing is we don't know what, but we do know it's it neurological, neurological uh, output sort of. Yeah. It's but we don't know why. No, yeah. All we know is that it is essentially acting through the sympathetic system in some way. We don't know if it's really acting directly through the sympathetic system, but as a result of whatever sensory input we get from the carbs, and it's not something you can feel. There are literally neurological receptors in your mouth that directly res respond to carbohydrate exposure. It can be bread flour. It doesn't matter what it is. This yeah, it doesn't need to be, it just needs to be carbs, and you don't even have to ingest it. You can even spit it out if you want. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you don't even have to take it in. Correct. I always just the, chewed them up and swallowed them because it takes yeah. like 30 seconds, you know, to really like if you just chew a jelly bean till it turns into mush, it takes about yeah. it takes most of your rest time. And uh, the research shows that you need at least 10 seconds of contact with your oral mucosa, which means the skin on the inside of your mouth. And so uh, without knowing it, I was meeting all of the required conditions for carb rinsing. And well, can I ask you something? Uh, yeah. Like okay, so it's all it's carb rinsing yeah. jello beans, but I think there's also another, uh, like pro to it, and that is, it's also kind of hydration if you combine it with water. Yeah, because if you think about it, it's, it's got salt, it's got glucose, huh. and if you add water to that, you know you're kind of doing sort of ORS, but then not the disgusting version. So there's truth to that. Um, you just have to see what feels good to you. Like I tried using mm -hmm. Gatorade for that reason, but again, Gatorade has a lot of um well has a reasonable amount of citric acid in it as well. Yeah, and then you have the stomach. Yeah, I just found that after I had like half a gallon of Gatorade, I just didn't stomach m much more. And, you know, we did not yeah. we didn't have good air conditioning in the ship gym and um you know, I would be down there for like an hour and a half. And I needed more than half a gallon of water, uh, you know, because I was sweating a lot. So uh, yeah, I, 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 I did not I know. Always... I did not know about oral rehydration solution at the time, or I would have made a version of it. Now, to do this yourself, you got, first off, I'm going to tell really you easy. the real thing a lot of people don't like. Um, there are two ways to make it better. One is, you know, those squeeze flavor things like the Mio, or they're all over the place now. Um, yeah, like the flavor drops. Right. You just squeeze in there until you really can't taste the salt so much. That's totally acceptable. 
Um, some people will be like, bro, that's a lot of artificial sweeteners. Yeah, but, you know, do what you need to do. Um, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, is it, there, there, there are, uh, you know, some people do great with it. Some people might not like it. Uh, I don't think that, especially with the ones, I do not use sucralose. That is a thing that I have. I will use the uh, acelfame or whatever, potassium. Stevia? Are, are you okay with I personally don't like stevia, but I don't really care. That's up to the individual. Um, yeah. It's got a bitter aftertaste in, yeah, in, in, in high concentration. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, exactly. To me, it's just potato, potato. It's, it's whatever you prefer. I don't really care. And you don't have to do that either. You can also, just because you need like a table, or not a tablespoon, but like a teaspoon of table salt to make uh, a proper oral rehydration solution for one liter of water, doesn't mean you actually have to use that much. Any salt that you put in is going to improve water absorption if there's also sugar. So if you have a jelly bean, and you know, you're chewing up like two jelly beans between each set, and you have a swig of water for even a quarter teaspoon, uh, which is uh, one like 1.25 grams or 1.25 milliliters. Um, so, and, and that ends up being like 600 milligrams of actual sodium. Um, the you know, there just put whatever amount you can tolerate. Do not use iodized table salt if you have a sensitive palate. Mm. I use iodized salt because uh, I don't want to be iodine deficient. <laughs> That's yeah. just me. But, you know, you only need like half a teaspoon per day to get all the iodine that you need. So um, it's easy, but you can taste the difference. It's got a nasty flavor to a lot of people. Sea salt is much more acceptable to most people in terms of taste. There's no difference in efficacy. It's just a question of what you can deal with. That makes sense. Yeah, well, yeah. For for me though, I, just taking a jelly bean and then swallowing it down with water at the end yeah. keeps me really hydrated. I just, it will. Like, I know there's not a. I just looked well, the up the sugar. macros. It's only fifty milligrams per hundred. Right. Per wait, no per, per um, fifty-seven. Yeah, per serving. Yeah, there's oh, basically is, no salt. Well, yeah, but it's just the carbo, <laughs> just the carbohydrates yeah. will also draw water in with them. So exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So you could technically have some salt with you and put it in your mouth and then yeah, swallow it out. Absolutely, that could actually be better because salt in your mouth first on its own is pretty cool. But if you have water, it's kind of eh. I so like if you it. it down. Look, I have those salt lamps. <laughs> I lick them. Yeah, you're weird because I like them. Yeah, I know. Morgan tells me all the time. She's like, "All right, Reese, look." It's- yeah, yeah. Is your dad being weird again? <laughs> yeah. You're a weird guy. <laughs> but I like him. I don't know. It's just me. So yeah, I don't care how you do it. But the um the carb rinsing is a big help. And what it does, it it reduces uh perceived exertion. So when you do the same amount that of too. work, you don't feel like you've worked as hard. You can actually uh, keep going longer. Yes. That too. You can keep going longer. And this is statistically significant. This is like, okay, when you watch a professional bike race. The top three to five people are usually finishing within like 30 to 60 seconds of each other. In a like one hour, like maximum speed bike test, um, which that's a long test. um, The personal time, like the, the time, the time that it takes to complete that reduces by like two or three minutes. 
in trained cyclists. So this is like, that's a huge deal. That is changing your place on the podium. You know what I'm saying? If you were the only person, yeah. like if you, were in, if you were in fifth place, that might put you, you in second or third place. Yeah, second or third, yeah. Maybe first, but like it, that actually could change your career. You know what I mean? Which is why everybody does it now. Um, yeah. The, uh, so that it, it does make a difference. It also increases peak power, which is also interesting by like two or three percent. So uh, the, the, the point is just that it makes everything easier. It's really cheap. It's really easy. And that's I like the jelly beans because they are not sticky. They don't spill. They're easy to keep yeah. in your pocket. Nobody really sees them. So like even if your gym has like no food or no drink, not that anybody should ever have no drink, but you know what I mean? Like they have kind of restrictions. <laughs> you can still pull yeah, the do. jelly beans off. And my, my gym is actually uh, anti-food, but when they see me carry that bucket with jelly beans, because I have a bucket always, mm -hmm. they're okay with it. They're like, eh, you know, cool. yeah, but they're you're, like, you're well, there's guy. no jelly, there's no sauce, like nothing's gonna get on the floor. Exactly. If you and drop it, nothing's left behind. Home. I offer it to everyone in the gym, like, you want some? You want some? <laughs> like, it's pretty good. Yeah. Carbonate scene. Look it up. Look yeah. it up. Look it up. <laughs> everyone's looking weird at me in the beginning, but now it's, everyone's cool with it. It's like, oh, oh, he's got the, the jelly bean guys here, and then they take some jelly beans. It's also a trip. The like, first time that they do it. And, you know, they do it for the whole workout. They're like, damn, this actually works. Yep. And it's really cheap. That's an error, bro. Yeah. It's really cheap. So that's why I shared with everyone because it's fucking cheap. Absolutely. I, I think it's a great tip. If, if it was ketones, then I would not share with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's really expensive. It doesn't, make, it doesn't work either, so. I, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that later. I yeah. want to. The, Some other time. The, the, the only time that any kind of aerobic substrate will be useful uh, is basically going to be in a submaximal aerobic environment where you are energy yeah. restricted. So that is a very, it's basically ultras. Um, okay. I mean, really, like, there's. Be yeah, I, I don't see why I should be because I'm not even close to aerobic stuff. So <laughs> I'm, I'm only doing strength training, if you think, about, and, yeah. and hypertrophy maybe. But I don't need. Uh, yeah. No, ketone My supplements being, are, are not going to help anything. Um, they're getting cheaper, by the way. If you like them, look, I, it's. They're pretty low risk. It's just that it's money for no tangible benefit. I just don't. I can't support that. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not going to slap like a massive warning label on something if it's literally like the beta hydroxy, whatever the fuck. Um, that ketone is fine. I mean, it's the primary thing your body makes. Yes, you'll absorb it. Yes, you'll burn it. Yes, it's going to increase your acidity a little bit. So uh, it actually has been shown to not necessarily be helpful, just like lactate supplementation. Um, and if you're already providing ketones, your body is not going to make as many. So if you're trying to do keto, you may actually be suppressing your own ketogenesis. So if you're already paying more for meat, why would you also pay more for something that is not going to give you any additional benefit? It just doesn't, it doesn't yeah, make I sense to me. Um, but that's also on the outside. If you feel better with it, whatever. Yeah. Now, let's move on to the next question by Dan Hughes. Okay. Hope Josh is enjoying fatherhood. I'm about a year and a half in myself, and it's such a beautiful, beautifully brutal, brutal, well, beautifully brutal way of life, <laughs> which I think 
He has can, uh, he has much more insight into that than I do because so I was uh, actually I was talking with my surgeon yesterday, right? And because we had my uh, six week follow up, my arms basically straight now. I get to start physical therapy. Yay! Um, Yay! Bro. She was like, "Bro, how's the baby doing?" So you know we're talking, and I'm showing her. She's like, "Man, you know, like I had twins, and here's what I'm going to tell you: even with one." Just get ready because and enjoy carry them around, go to restaurants, have a great time. Because once they are mobile, and especially once they're mobile and able to like communicate, look out. <laughs> Everything's gonna take forever. And they're gonna want to do oh, stuff and like and it's okay. it's it's cool, but it's like you just need to count for things taking at least twice as long. You're gonna get like nothing done. So do things while you can and then just have a good time with them once they start getting ridiculous. Yep. Well, but anyway, yeah, I'm this loving question it. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, you should. This question is for the Mass Cycle 1 and 2. He says, in the Mass Cycle 1 and 2, I used bodyweight neutral grip pull-ups uh, because neutral grip was uh, chosen uh, was the easiest mobility and stability-wise for the shoulders. Cool. And uh, he's the strongest in that. And I also realized playing around on my pull-up bar at home that when I do overhand pull-ups, my lats contract better mm -hmm. and get a better pump. Mm -hmm. So to boil the question down to specifically, why does overhand pull-ups recruit the lats so much better than neutral grip pull-ups? Um, some of that's going to be how you're doing it, and some of it is just going to be that the lats are an internal rotator. Um, so anything that allows more internal rotation of the shoulder, which the pronated grip or the overhand grip does, because here's the thing. When you are hanging, right, and you can see in the video, do my elbows move very much when I go from neutral to uh, pronated? Not hardly at all, right? What about at the top position? Is there a difference here versus here? I mean, not that much either, but when you pull up in the neutral, you're here. When you pull up in the pronated, so th this is kind of neutral, pronated, you can just get further back you know what i'm saying you're getting a slightly better range of motion you are allowing for a little bit more shoulder rotation because you notice like the internal rotation here if i keep the shoulder there where's my hand at it's 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 rotated in like 30 degrees whereas if i come here and i keep it like this and bring it back you can't do a pull-up like this you'll screw yourself up so there you actually get better shoulder internal rotation with the pronated grip so um, I think that that's probably going to be why you're feeling it a little bit better, but I personally never felt a difference. Um, I really, I just, honestly, I just didn't. Um, part of that too, may be like your internal cueing. So like with the, um, with, with the, uh, pronated grip, I think it's easier for people to think, okay, I'm going to pull like my shoulders back as I pull the bar down. And with the neutral grip, that doesn't like really happen as automatically. And that may be making the difference for you. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, it's, that's a hard one to assess, but the way to figure it out to me is to get up top, do kind of a top hold and do some small range of motion at the top, even if it's with a foot assist and figure out, okay, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? Where are my lats at? Like how, you know, what, and then, and then just keep doing that. And it might actually help to do this with rings so that you can kind of slowly change the hand position and figure out how to keep the lats doing what they're doing. And that might actually be a huge game changer for you in like the midterm, like over the course of a couple of months, because practicing that may allow you to change the feeling 
of the neutral grip pull-up and maybe get a little more out of it. Um, but you know, it may also not matter. Like I really wouldn't worry about it as long as you're making progress. Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. That I, next question. I, I, I always did equal volumes of both, to be honest with you. Every session I always did two sets of neutral grip, two sets of, I always did, I, I want to say I always did wide and then, uh, I don't remember if I, I think I did neutral last. I think I did wide and then like regular and then uh, neutral. And occasionally. In the past? Yeah. For me in the past, I always did neutral always. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I did wide first, four sets, I think. And then mm -hmm. neutrals, two sets. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Uh, eventually, because I, I, uh, we need, I need a more. You basically had me more doing white pull-ups yeah. back then. I would always but, do the uh, wide first so that you're not overly inflamed when you're getting that weird stretch on the Terry's major. Yeah. But I do have to say, I still prefer neutral over everything. Mm -hmm. It just feels so much more solid. For some, I can always pull much more, mm -hmm. much, much more uh, yeah. with neutral than supinated and pronated. I think that a lot of people yeah. have that experience, and I think that's fine. It feels so... Yeah, it feels so good. I don't know. I just like... Yeah. Mm. I don't know. There's not enough I can't of put a difference. In words. There's so much research on this, and there's just not enough difference to care whether you're doing better with pronated or neutral. That's just the honest truth. You know? Yeah. You just do All what right, works. Let's, mo let's move on to the next question by Brian. Uh, his, his question basically is, how would you program for multiple one-arm chin-ups after achieving your first? I would, I would be doing the same thing. You just slowly... Uh, <laughs> there's no change yeah you just do it whatever you did to get to the one on chin up yeah the, so the worst thing you can do the absolute worst thing you can do is try to continually do more and more and more of those single one arm chin ups that is a yeah. terrible because you got to remember what are you looking for you're looking for volume in a set and where do you make progress pretty equally throughout a very wide range of intensities. Where do you have the most injury risk? High intensity. So if you're gonna be able to make similar progress, no matter where you put your extra work on, shouldn't you be putting your extra work in the safer rep ranges? I think so. That's, that's, that's exactly how I think about it. But that's how you should approach any skill. Yeah, I mean, Any skill that has like higher. That's more, everything. Yeah, everything. It really is. I mean, that's how, you know, the smarter power lifters, the Olympic lifters, all these people, this is becoming more and more and more common, especially after people get hurt. Because here's what usually happens I'm talented. I'm a beast. I'm tearing it up. I'm better than everybody. I'm going to be a champ. And they are going to be a champ. I don't need to do that fancy stuff. Then they get yeah. hurt. And their body will no longer tolerate the abusive regime that it tolerated previously because it really wasn't tolerating it. It was just getting to a point where now it's breaking me down. I just don't know it. And then there's a problem. Now I've got to change my ways. And then when they change to a smarter approach, they actually set new records. So uh, I think that's where yep. people get confused, both on the outside looking in and the athlete themselves. And there's no way to gain that perspective unless you're, without going through that yourself, unless you're willing to trust the growing number of people who are making waves and are 
telling you repeatedly the same thing, that this is how we are doing it to stay safe long-term and still set new records. He also, he also has a question regarding unilateral exercises, and he's mm -hmm. asking, uh, when training unilateral exercises, will the volume for each side be the same as they will be for bilateral exercises? And basically, yeah, yes, yes, just two RIR. Yeah. That's, and then, so that could be different because you're doing it a different will be exercise. Different. If you're, Almost yeah, every so single it will person. Be different. I'll, yeah, I'll, so it's yeah. not like if you can do a 60 kilo overhead press with barbell, it won't be just like 30 kilo dumbbell won't be, it will be radically different. Right, it will. Um, yeah. The, it, so, so the, the thing is you just want to pick a weight for each hand that is going to get you more or less in the rep range you want to be with the correct number exactly. of reps in reserve. That's basically That's it. it. If it's like That's for everything. Don't question it. It's like don't even think about right. it much more. Don't don't make it more complicated than it right. is. And That's it, all it is. Right. There's two ways to approach it. One, you do the exact ish you you stick the same number of rep ranges even if it's a slightly different weight in each hand. Two, you use a slightly different rep range so that it's the same weight in each hand. There is no right or wrong there. It's only what feels best to you. And then he has one more question regarding the lab program. Okay. He says he's not interested in achieving full, uh, full front lever and planche at the moment. Okay. But he's still interested in our programming. So would we? does he need to make any modifications to the structure of cycle? Well, I don't know what his goals are. Oh, if the goal were just to get strong at certain bent arm movements. What movements? They just want... What movements? So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing what he's trying to say is I just want to get stronger at the basic strength. Yeah, they just keep doing basic strength. Yeah, just absolutely. Keep, yeah. And so, it's like, just, just follow the skill programming. You're going to keep making progress there. That's the thing. The skill programming, you know, I don't mean the skill cycle. I just mean that the technique training, those static holds, the leans, yeah. the entries and exits, um, all of that stuff, you don't need to do a huge amount of it to keep getting better at it. You know, your strength and is going to show. It's not a lot more time you have to spend on it. Right. And it's not conflicting with your other programming. Right. Sometimes it's good to take a step back from, you know, from basic strength. You know, and then come back to it some more later on. That sometimes, even if you don't yeah. do any skill, that's still a good option. It's not like right. just follow the program and do the skills if you want. Mm -hmm. And it's like probably you should because then you'll have a free planche. So right. why not? <laughs> so right. Well, this also ties into something else that nobody asked, but um, there is some newer research that uh, like if you follow chris beardsley he's an exercise science guy um mm -hmm. the uh it's one of those things getting discussed a little bit is like is there a point at which you have to deload he takes this position he takes a very extreme position in the camp of no you shouldn't have to deload if you're programming properly um the the reason that I'm mentioning this is you're asking how to get stronger. So if you're constantly doing basic strength, uh, there is some research that you may come across that will be like, okay, well, after you know three months, it seems like we've reached peak effectiveness. And at six months, we actually start moving backwards. Everybody who's worked out for years and eaten well knows that that's not true. However, we usually have constant resets. We're not always doing five sets with two RIR and a particular rep range without ever doing less for a week here and there. Uh, that's very unusual. Um, so the, 
all I'm saying is that you, regardless of what you read, there is evidence that um, you probably need to change the intensity every so often, and more importantly, you probably need to drop the volume every so often and then build back up. And that is something that is a part of our core programming. And the reason for that is that you could be OCD and add like three quarters of an ounce every single workout. You know, add a particular amount of weight for each exercise every workout. You would lose your mind doing that. Um, so while technically you could probably find just the right increments, and believe it or not, this is what people did back in the 1800s and early 1900s. Because the plate-loaded barbell did not get invented until like 1908. It was a European invention. It came to America in 1912. Before that... Shit. <laughs> you know your shit, man. That's not that long ago, right? Yeah, whoa, whoa. You know what people had? They had hollow globes, and they filled it with lead shot. So little balls of lead, they'd take like a teaspoon, usually every day, and they would just add it. And they would just do the same routine every single day with like an extra ounce of weight. And, you know, you scale that out and you say 365 divided by 16 ounces. These people were adding like, I don't know, 25 pounds a year. But what happened was that they became retarded strong and they, uh, they were monsters. I mean, these people with... No nutrition knowledge, no training knowledge, were able to make constant, continuous progress and do things that many of our strong people today have trouble with. And like it was common to do a 200 pound bent press, which is where you clean a 200 pound dumbbell. So just, just think about that. You clean a 200 pound dumbbell first, okay? One hand or two hand, that's a heavy dumbbell. You have it in one hand, you lean over to the side, and you straighten the arm as you lean to the side, and then you come back. So there's a lot of balance involved, there's a lot of strength involved, it's different than an overhead press, um, and you were not even considered to be a part of the big boy club if you could not bench press uh, 200 pounds. The world record for it uh, with Arthur Sampson was like, uh, God, I think it was 300 and it was over 350 pounds. That's what? And then um, there was a French dude in the, in the late 1800s, Louis Cyr, who he was so fat that he couldn't bend over. So that motherfucker actually just pressed 260 something pounds in one arm. Bro, nobody's ever done that. In modern times, not one person has ever done that. Um, That's 121 kilos. Yeah. It's bananas. And, and they built that with super slow incremental resistance. And Maybe I should do that. But, but you got to understand, these guys were performing twice a day, seven days a week. They would do these feats of strength but that was actually a part of their workout. So they weren't actually maxing out. They were just living really heavy shit that was normal for them. You know, they were bending things, but it was normal for them. It took a couple of years for them to get built up to the point where they could perform. 
So they would travel around with a successful strongman troop and they would be training and they'd be cleaning and they'd be cooking and doing these other things. And then when they got strong enough, they'd be added to the roster as an opening act. And the point I'm making is that you technically can do incremental resistance and never, ever, ever have to deload or do anything else. But the degree of mindless, slow, invisible progression is unsustainable for the average person in this day and age. And that means that from a practical perspective, it is more helpful to go through the kind of cycling that we offer because it's easy and in what basically everybody alive does in some form or fashion is that you build up and then you retest and drop the volume and you build up and you just keep doing that over and over and over again, you know, every four to eight weeks for most people. Um, you know, sometimes you can go longer than that. Sometimes, you know, people need even shorter cycles. Uh, that's a complicated discussion for everybody who's listening to this. I can guarantee you that the four to eight week range is always going to work well. Um, unless you become a champion at, at, at strength stuff, and then you may need to do things differently. Um, you know, but until you are yeah. so close to your limits, uh, you, you really don't need to change that much. You know, it's, if you actually have to make adaptations outside of that basic process in order to keep making progress, you have become very strong. You have achieved more than most people will ever achieve. And that's, that's why, you know, advanced training methods are not something to strive for. They're a last-ditch effort to keep making uh, progress. And that's what you have to realize is they offer no benefit to somebody who doesn't need them yet. They just allow somebody who has to continue fine-tuning in order to keep making progress because they have just done so much and accomplished so much and are so close to their upper limit of physical ability that they just have to really get nitty-gritty to avoid overdoing it. Um, that's where advanced training methods really come in. So the... Um, yeah, the question has been answered. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically just follow the strength programming and, you know, yeah. do the holds, have fun with them. Here's the thing. You do that for a couple of years, you're probably going to have a full planche and a full front lever anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if you're committed so to that and you're just doing your leans and you're doing like just a couple of front lever holds, you know, a couple days a week, yeah, whatever, you're just going to keep making planche. progress. Exactly. Let's move on to the last question. Okay. This is it. Gonzalo Martins. He says, hey, guys, a quick brainstorm question regarding this, the Victorian pools. Mm -hmm. Will we benefit more by doing this exercise laying down on a bench? I mean, support platform on your chest, and then we can load and focus on that pull and retraction? No. You should be laying on and your back. Says, Victorian pools we're talking about. Yes. Well, he's talking about the uh, one where you're standing for, in, like, reverse chest flies, but then arm stretched yeah yeah but so you, oh okay so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> just making sure he's saying mm -hmm. basically saying standing versus laying on a bench yeah so you're gonna want to be in more of a bent over position um cables honestly are a better choice than uh dumbbells for this exercise in particular because you oh. can get a more so when you're doing the dumbbells it's just a lot of sheer stress on the lower back um yeah, I felt that. Oh, they're both good. good. The reason that I never had a problem with that is that I just had... Because you're strong. Yeah, I had monster deadlift endurance and strength. So, like, 
you know, I wasn't setting records or anything, but I was easily doing 12 reps with uh, Romanian deadlifts for 405 pounds. So for me, grabbing 55 pound dumbbells and bending over and doing, you know, 20 or 30 reps of Victorian pulls was no big deal. Um, but that's not going to be true for most people. In fact, as you get heavy, the dumbbells are a great place to start. They're super accessible. They're everywhere. And it's kind of obvious what you need to do. When you start getting, and, and the nice thing too is that just by doing some of the volume that way, you're also practicing your brace. You're building that endurance in the lower back and in the core in general. You're learning to hold your position during dynamic movements. So there's a lot of positives to doing that. But as you get to a point to where you start having trouble with technique or something just like, oh, my back's getting tired, like down near my hips and stuff. And, you know, I just kind of, I'm stronger than this, but I can't keep doing it this way and still make progress. Then that becomes your warm up. And then you go to a cable machine and, uh, you know, either use like the um, lat pull down bar because you can get your hands about the same width as a front lever and a Victorian. And you just, you know, step back and do the pulls that way. Or, you know what I'm saying? Where you start off your... your but that's more like a row, right? Uh, like a straight arm row. Because that's what these are. That's what you got to remember, is that just as a Maltese yeah. lift is a straight arm bench press, it's basically a straight arm wide grip bench press. Um, the Victorian pull is nothing but a straight arm wide grip row. Because what are we doing? We're extending the shoulder. That means we're rowing. Yeah. Right? We're going from in front Makes of sense. us, pulling towards us in the horizontal plane. That's a row. We're just not bending the elbows in the process. And well, how do you not bend your arm, though? You just don't. With the, with, the, with the lat pull down thing. I mean, I get it if you have two separate... Two separate... Uh, it's no different. You're just I'm leaning... trying to do it right now, but... You just lean like back. You want to keep. Oh yeah, so you, it's more of a scapular retraction thing. No, I mean, look, man. So yeah. you're not starting from overhead. What you're doing is you go to a cable machine, like on the cable row or something. Yeah, like you start. You yeah. start like in a multi. So you stand up, and well, you're really going to start more like in a slightly wide planche. And yeah. you know what I'm saying? You know, with the bar in front of you, and it's pulling away from you. And then you're you're gonna have to throw your weight backwards. Oh, a I see what you mean. Yeah, oh, okay, and you just mind. pull so okay. you pull so that the bar hits over your yeah, center yeah. of mass. I was thinking, I was thinking of like like when you do a Victorian uh, pull from a front lever, like obviously you widen out like that. You know what I mean? Right. So you start imagine front lever is a Victorian. Right. But then that, but uh, with a barbell, I was like, how how can you do that? But now I get what you mean. Yeah, you just you just you just start with a yeah. yeah. You just keep the same hand width that you would use for a Victorian. Um, but does that? What about the range of motion? Uh, versus, like, let's say we really uh, mimic a front lever to to Victorian versus that exercise. There's let's really not one... much of a difference in range of motion. There's a little bit, but it's not enough to matter. And it's in a mm -hmm. shorter muscle position. It's just not that important. Um, I will say that um, I always liked using double handle cable machines, like free motions, more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And what yeah, I, I was, did I was about to suggest that. is I put those overhead and I make them a little bit wider than rings because the, the, hand, the, 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 the straps are shorter, basically. So you can't keep them as close together. And then what you do, you just find a comfortable width 
and then you pull from a you know simulated front lever position down into a simulated Victorian position. It's that simple. And yeah, that was what I that was I was about to recommend doing. That's that. my top choice. Okay. If if available. Well, what do you think about doing actual assisted front lever to Victorians with thirty kilo assist if you're sixty kilo? If you can do it. Okay. You know. <laughs> It's just that that's that's a lot of specialized equipment. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so it's not as accessible. I don't think it's always just asking for myself. Yeah, no, I don't think it's always the best choice because you may find that, uh, like, first off, it's only one resistance level, and yeah, you can keep it. You can keep you know solely using less resistance, but you're starting to get into a very like kind of a higher intensity zone there. So I would just be careful. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Eventually, it gets pretty. Then it becomes the the real thing eventually, and you can't wrap out the real thing. Right, right. So you just have to be careful about the way you always want to progress volume, and you want to make sure you're using enough assistance to where you can get at least like ten, fifteen easy reps. And you know what I mean. And yeah, I feel you. And and you can't be struggling with form. Like that's the thing. And so that's going to be a limitation on that exercise. Yeah, that's going to be hard because you want to keep your body straight and everything. So right. that makes yeah, I get I get it. That's why. But I'll, you can do like a asking. tuck. You know what I mean? You can do like one leg. That's a hell of a lot easier. You can be a little bit pike. Yeah. Because you got to remember, we're training the back. Like when you're learning a position, you you kind of have to pick and choose what you're going to work when. And when you're doing strength training, you've got to be focusing on the working muscles and mm-hmm build yourself up you know most people here are never going to compete they're not going to do competitive gymnastics and even if they were we would be practicing the holds in a spotted position completely separately and i would be way less concerned about a form breakdown in the legs and the hips yeah yeah yeah. i wouldn't care during strength training i would care during a snap to a hold that's different so because they're two different skills and people, that, people should have to see realize. my Hanson push-ups during my uh, mass cycle as strength work mm-hmm. versus when I show them all. Right. When I show them off, they're beautiful. <laughs> but when I do them just as strength work, you know, I'm, I don't worry about my hips spiking or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to get the reps in. Yeah. I just want my upper body to move roughly the same for every rep. Exactly. The rest, I don't, give, I don't care about. Exactly. That's correct. And that's that's important to remember. Uh, it's like, but maybe I should post that stuff like that more on my Instagram so people see. It's not every rep I do is beautiful. Yeah, it's people like, need to see that because you know, it's, yeah, we we all have this instinct to like only show the best part of ourselves. But I have that a lot. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's 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 more important when you're a uh, public figure, especially when you're a teacher, to show that imperfection is also normal and acceptable. Because mm-hmm. it's going to happen, you know, and, yeah. and you can't feel bad about it. You just have to say, okay, well, certain things are acceptable. Certain things aren't. How, what, what am I concerned with in this workout? You know, why, exactly. why doesn't this matter? I'll tell you why, because then when I show off, you know, I still do perfect form practice. I just don't try and do that I when I'm concentrating them. on moving heavy shit, you know? No, but that's, I actually did a post on, uh, on I, I showed a shell planche push up when I show it off. So yeah. when I was laying down and lock it out, hold it at the top, down, mm-hmm. up, hold it at the top for right. three reps. Right. And then when I do for hypertrophy, hypertrophy, I don't lock out. I don't uh mm-hmm. 
my body isn't as straight as as the other one. Mm-hmm. I don't ha- I don't hold it. I just go. I do reps. Right. Like it's completely different. Yeah, and it's like you and know ex- what? If explain hips, to people if, if your hips start yeah. piking, that's good. That's fine because it's going to yeah. let you get a little more volume, and you just pay attention. This is what I do, and you know, it's like that's and, and then so you're going through. You're basically doing a drop set without ever getting off the the out yeah, of the yeah, yeah 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 that's that's pretty cool yeah and, I'm, and that's I'm waiting fine. for my p bars then so i can even further go that into a tuck eventually even right that'd be really cool right and and you know and you just say okay well you know i'm just care just like anything else i'm careful about my volume progression and yeah. you know i know what i'm going to do i know like okay i've got like one good straddle push-up left so i'm going to get into a flat tuck and do a few more i maybe only have one good one here so i'm going to do a few more in a regular tuck and then I'm just two reps in reserve, man. Yeah, just two reps in reserve, even with straddle. You're like, okay, I yeah. cannot do another straddle planche push up without it looking disgusting. I'm just gonna go into advanced tuck and do another one. Okay, that, that was that was it. Yeah, let me, let me one flat tuck. Okay, cool. All right, I'm done. Exactly, that's my set. I managed to get two reps extra, mm-hmm. you know, still feeling that same um, reps in reserve feeling. So right. that's good. That's that's what you want. Yeah, it, and, 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 it, that and also, I also like... That's safe it, too. What it's doing is it's giving you too. volume yeah. exposure without trying to do more at a higher intensity. And that's, exactly, that's something yeah. that people, you know, are not really aware of. It's actually better to get, to, to get more volume in and get that same reps in reserve but the lower intensity. If you can do that, that's actually better. Yeah, it's... You're, for your overall... You can handle more volume like that without having to... Yeah be strained as much yep so if you're if you if i had to choose uh five kilo dumbbell uh biceps and i still got two reps in reserve with 10 reps i'd be happy with that yep i don't i don't want to be doing that with 30 kilo dumbbells no that sucks (laughs) you know yep if if i could do with a five kilo that's a good thing then it's like sure it's not as much but you know i'm still planching it's not yeah it's 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 the thing is it's not about the weight it's just about making progress you know your your workout should never be a um ego booster you know especially not in the moment you should feel good about achieving your goals and you should also feel good about stopping short when you need to you should never feel good about going beyond what you asked yourself to do in your programming that should never be a positive that should always be a negative so for the, for the people who are listening, we do Labro Fitness episodes sometimes covering certain subjects. Uh, I'm requesting now one from Josh. Can you do a Labro Fitness on uh, drop sets? Yeah, absolutely. Because I th- I think I think that's it's a very important concept. I haven't used it as much, but I mm-hmm. think it's very important to know how to use them. It is. And, uh, I, you know why it's yeah, important? I, because that's one of the keys to time efficiency for people who don't have a lot of time. Exactly. That's that's why I want you to do a whole sub, like a whole mm-hmm. topic on that because I think well, that's, that's stuff I, I myself that is, can learn. That's stuff that's yeah. going to be added into the mass cycles in particular. Um, yeah, we should probably have like lab roads. Like in yeah, it's like I mean I've told people this. Uh, you know, the problem really has been that um, I, I I didn't have any time available. You know, so I was out on sick leave for a little over a month. And we got a lot of stuff done and uh, made some pretty large overhauls to the way that we're presenting the information. And so things are going to be going a lot smoother with less questions. And we're, these things are also being worked in so that we are uh, steadily teaching you without overloading your brain, you know, but, exactly. but giving you the options that you need when life is crazy, because that's important, you know. It's about having a way I- to move forward. Yep. Anyway, we answered all the questions. It's been almost two hours. Yep. 
think we did a good job. <laughs> Thoroughly answered all of them. Uh, guys, as usual, keep sending in your questions. We answer all of them. And uh, we had a blast again. Yeah, thanks for and listening. That's it for this. See you guys next time. See you guys.